This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today on Valley Views, we're visiting with Dan Green and Bill Geipel, both pilots and valley residents, and we're talking about aircraft, flying in the valley, uh, such things. Dan flew trainers and cargo planes in the military for 11 years before becoming a pilot for American Airlines, which lasted 25 years. Bill flew for Northwest and Delta with 31 years in that space, and before that, flew in the military for about six years. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. This is a, I think this is a really interesting topic because we see small planes flying over, overhead. Dan, I know I've seen you because I know what your plane looks like. How many local pilots are there in the valley, would you guess, and maybe how many aircraft? There's probably about a dozen that frequent the airport uh, routinely, but I don't know how many. Some pilots are non-flyers. They've retired. They quit, but, uh, but there's probably a dozen of us that keep our fingers in it all the time. And what's the most unusual airplane in the valley? Anything Dan builds. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's Bill's airplanes. He's got uh, several in the hangar. One Czechoslovakian uh, airplane, Chinese airplane, uh, Nanchang, and then the Bokal, which is just an incredible little tiny airplane. The, it's a forward air control, uh, so the visibility is just awesome. <laughs> you hmm. can, if you want to go for a ride and see the mountains, that's the one to go in. <laughs> yeah, we only have one American-built airplane in our collection. So. Okay. Now, when you take off from Silverwest Airport, uh, you're at almost eight thousand feet right at the start. What differences does that make with that altitude compared to sea level? Well, the 8,000 feet, the airport is at uh, 8,300 feet, and the density altitude can vary widely. It's only at 8,300 feet when the temperature outside is uh, 32 degrees. Uh, As the temperature goes up, the density altitude goes up, and the wing, the engine, as you go up, there's less air molecules, basically. Mm-hmm. And so the performance is much less than if you were at even Denver. But if you're down at sea level, your performance is, is significantly higher than up here. Mm-hmm. So uh, in terms of seasons, summer works against you a bit. It, Absolutely. Uh, winter Winter's a better time just for, for that. Yes, hour. yes. Uh, so, Bill, if you were taken off just for what I'd call a joy ride, not heading any place, and you were heading west, uh, we've got peaks in the Sangres, 13, 14,000 feet. Would you fly over those, or do you, do you find a pass like 160 or Moscow? Or? Yeah, we go through Moscow Pass a okay. lot, all right. uh, just because we don't have to get as high. And then, there, of course, there's all the regulations and, and common sense, saying that if you get high enough, you need mm-hmm. oxygen. Mm-hmm. The air is that thin. Mm-hmm. And but what, what altitude would that be? You get well. The regulations begin after ten thousand feet. Oh, okay. Right. So once you cross that, depending on how long you will be at that altitude, is dictates what you need to do with oxygen. Okay. And when uh, when you go out for a, a flight for a few hours, just hey, I've got a morning. I'm, I'd like to fly. Where would your flight path possibly take you? I, I do um, uh, sightseeing flights 
Uh, well, I've done it for the radio station. Somebody will bid and, right. yes. and give money to the radio station. I'll uh, take them at for the a taste ride. of the valley. We and I usually take them down south, fly over um, the ranch where the buffaloes are. Mm-hmm. Uh, people like to see that, and then down to Walsenburg and around there. It's just a real pretty fly. If you want to spend more time, you go up towards Salida. You can fly over um, the collegiate peaks down or up against the collegiate peaks. We really don't fly over them normally because that that's just too high altitude. But mm-hmm. that's normal. Or or you can actually go to Salida. They have a loner car or Buena Vista, and you can stop go have lunch, and uh, <laughs> just make a real nice day of it. Uh, no, no, that's a good thing. Bill, yeah. how about you? What... what uh what do you like to see from the air? I just get up there by myself usually mm-hmm. and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Any place just to get up and go. Again, it depends on the airplane I'm flying. Some of them I can only afford to fly for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the other ones I can actually go for an hour or two. And mm-hmm. I'll run over to Alamosa or uh, going to uh, Pueblo. we got okay. a great restaurant in Pueblo. And just go out and... Buzz around the neighborhood, basically. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, so let's talk about our local airport. How is Silverwest Airport uh, organized and operated? Dan, I think you're on the board. Yeah. It's operated by volunteers like so many other things around here. We have a airport board, and uh, we have a chairman of the board, and we basically try to keep the airport in good what we have, we try to keep in good shape. And they just changed how we operate. We are now going to get a budget from the county. And with that, we decide how to spend it, whether mm-hmm. we need to fix the cracks in the runway or taxiway. or uh, We have a fabulous building out there that is, is a multi-use building. Other people use it as well. And uh, that's pretty much it. Do the commissioners oversee that? Yeah, they uh, are involved. We have one of the commissioners assigned okay. to us, and uh, he tries to come to the meetings as office, often as he can, mm-hmm. and uh, we discuss what we need, and, and he talks about the money that they have, and uh, it's, it's pretty typical of, of how this kind of thing works around here. Mm-hmm. At the airport, a new addition is is a plane that sits right at the entrance. Bill, I understand that's... Uh, that's thanks to you. Yeah, I, it's a Polish trainer jet okay. called an Iskra. And at one time it did fly, and my goal was to get it flying again. But it kind of rolled off the trailer in transport. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's more of a, a paperweight at this time. But it, but I thought it would be a nice deal out there just to mark the airport. And, and yeah. when we were putting it up, Everybody who drove by was honking and waving, and they thought it was a good deal. It's so. it's a it's an unusual looking uh, aircraft. What vintage is it? When would it have been flying? Early sixties. Okay. Yeah, they flew them all of the sixties actually, but they built them in about sixty two. And uh, as I said, they used it as a trainer, and they also use it as a light attack aircraft. They actually had guns and rockets on it, and uh, the airplane, with certain a little bit of maintenance, would be flyable again, but. We just left it out there, and well, it's, a, it's a nice, nice spot there. Uh, think about the airport. Uh, I'm no expert, but it looks like the runway is quite long. The, the runway r- is quite long, and 
<clears throat> that's Again, it partially. depends on the altitude. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, it's it long does. at sea level, but up here it's pretty short. Okay, that's fair. How, how long is it? 7,000 feet. Oh, wow. Yeah. One of the reasons is John Redmond from uh, the uh, Wolf, Wolf Springs, Springs Ranch mm-hmm. yeah, donated $250,000 back in the mid-90s mm-hmm. uh, to increase the length of that runway. Okay. Bill, let me ask you, You're, I understand you're a collector of aircraft. Yes. And you've got plans to uh, uh, try to do a local museum here, and you're in the process. What What's the status of that? Well, we uh, purchased a first hangar out there from a gentleman who moved out of the valley, and it's a good size hangar. We've got 12 donated airplanes. Half of them are elsewhere in the country waiting for us to find a parking place for them here. And we're uh, daily just putting things together and unpacking boxes and moving airplanes in and out. But uh, we hope to build another hangar if we can put together all the money and then bring the rest of the airplanes in. And is there a theme in terms of the museum or, uh, you know, how would you describe it to someone uh, who might visit? Well, it's more, unlike a lot of the museums, there's World War I museums, World War II, Vietnam, right. you know, science museum. We're just aviation. Okay. Um, anything airplane, anything aviation related. Uh, we have, as I said, we have the American built airplanes, which is civilian trainer. We have the rest are all military of one sort or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, none from this country. They're all mm-hmm. from Russia or Romania mm-hmm. or any of those countries. <laughs> and uh, uh, they're all flyable. And our goal is to put some training together for the high school kids in the valley. Um, they, they don't have the exposure. They don't have the means to get to the nearest airport where there is flying. And a lot of them, you know, a lot of it is finances. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to attempt to offer that training uh, for little or no money at all. Give me a few examples of aircraft that would find their home in this museum. Well, as you mentioned, the one on the pole, we have one of those that actually fly. Okay, It's the Polish Iskra jet, single-engine, two-seat trainer jet. The problem we have, as we discussed, the density altitude, which means the density of the air, that airplane may not even operate up here. Mm -hmm. So uh, then we have a uh, Czechoslovakian trainer, two-seat jet trainer. We have three of those. And we have some Romanian Yaks, they call them. Mm -hmm. Yakalov was the designer. And they're propeller-driven. It's pretty eclectic, our our, (laughs) our collection. We have nothing alike. <laughs> so, I I uh, I had occasion to live and work in Poland for a while and there was a guy I collected postage stamps. A Pol- and this guy collected Russian uh military vehicles. Like the the Gaz was the Jeep. Oh, yeah. And uh when it came time to move back overseas, uh who's laughing now? I, I, with <laughs> my right, yeah. with my postage stamps. Yeah, so. That's right. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, Dan, let me uh, let me yes. ask you. Uh, uh, under full disclosure, Dan is a neighbor, and I've been over to his shop uh, many times. And Dan, you've built two aircraft. That's right. In, in there, and uh, as someone uh, who had difficulty assembling a plastic model plane <laughs> from a Ravel kit when I was a kid, putting together a real plane seems amazing. What possessed you when you retired to do that? Well, it was uh, simply a lifelong dream. I uh, uh, first wanted to do this in 1972 while I was in college. And, uh, of course, the finances weren't there when I was in college. And then, you know, as life went on, you know, kids and all that stuff, it 
finances were even uh, more difficult. And moving around. And moving around in the military and the airlines. And uh, then when I retired, I got to thinking about it again because some of my other retired friends were doing it. And uh, it turns out the finances were there. So you, bu- you built two. What, what are the models? The first one was a Vans RV7. Mm-hmm. Um, the designer engineer is... Uh, uh, Dick Van Grunseven is his name. Been building these kits for um, 40 years now. And they are not unlike the kit that you were talking about. Uh, They're all complete, and you get them in four different packages, large packages, and (laughs) you start assembling them. You say it's just like the kit, but I've been in your shop, and you were (laughs) designing some piece that needed needed to happen. So what, what... is the most challenging thing about constructing an airplane? Uh, patience. It's <laughs> convincing your wife that you need it. <laughs> and, and Beth has said that. But, but, yeah, she, has, yeah. she has. It's, it's, it's a, a kind of a slow process, and, and most pilots are always, you know, chomping at the bits to get off the ground. Right. And you just can't do that. you got and, – and the thing is, it's – I was putting the electronics in, a lot of wires, and a wise friend of mine, I said, how am I going to do this? And a wise friend of mine said, one wire at a time. That, and that's pretty much the whole process. I, I see that's true. So when you flew it for the first time, what were your thoughts and emotions? <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was very exciting. And, and, you know, all the bad things go through your head until you get airborne. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I built this airplane. It's going to fly sideways. It's going to have control problems. And I took off, and it was – I flew around, had a great time, landed. <laughs> <laughs> it was, That's got to be exciting. After. Yes, it was. And you put this thing together pretty quickly, just in a few years. Three and a half years, yeah. yeah. I had a roommate that built an earlier model. Uh, he lives in Australia, and it, uh, it took him 11 years. Yeah. He was working at the time, and – you know, that's, that's not unusual. Typical. Everybody yeah. has uh, yeah. different. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty cheap. But you you yeah. put you put a lot of effort into it. So thinking about in all your collective years of flying, probably sixty plus years, I'm sure you've encountered some problems in the air requiring some quick thinking. Bill, does anything come to mind? Uh, my very first flight as captain, we had a bomb scare on the airplane. <laughs> that was the middle of the night, so that was kind of fun. Wow. Obviously, it all worked out, but it was it was interesting to say the least. You know, just I mean, it's a, a lengthy story, but it was yeah. it was kind of interesting and things like that. You always have the mechanical failures out over the North Atlantic in the middle of the night, in the middle <laughs> of the winter. Those are always <laughs> eye openers. You stay right, you stay awake quite a bit of the time. That one. Yeah, Dan, how about you? I've had a very uh, fortunate uh, career. I've I've had passenger situations. I've had more than my share of emergency medical diverts where flight attendant calls up and and says, we got this problem. One time I was flying captain on an American jet and my wife was in the back, who is a nurse, as you know. Flight attendant calls up and says, there's this guy back here in seat, whatever, and he's bleeding all over the place. I said, my wife's in first class. Go get her. <laughs> <laughs> so if there are folks out there in Radio Land who are interested in finding out more about flying in our local flying community, how might they uh, proceed in 
uh, meeting people. Ah, that is... Come to the airport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. only an eight-mile drive. If no one's there, that's one thing. But there's usually always somebody around. Okay. The board meetings are the third Thursday of every, every month. month. Yeah. And, right and we airport, more than welcome anybody to come at any anybody. time. Yeah. Or call us. Mm-hmm. We're all listed someplace. And uh, and you, you have a yearly event out there, uh, typically. Is that is that the case this year? It is. It is. When, we, when uh, is that? Well, this year, last year was a little rainy and cold. That was September. Mm-hmm. This year, we're moving it to August 25th. Okay. That, that's the date that we talked about so far. And it's a pancake breakfast. It basic, you know, you donate like five bucks and you get pancakes and sausage and coffee and juice. And uh, there's airplanes parked all over the place. A lot of rides going on if somebody's fortunate enough to get a ride. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just a good day at the airport. We always say a bad day at the airport's better than a good day at a lot of places. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, just come out. And, and flying is a pretty neat deal. And, uh, Great. Well, those of us on the ground are envious when we look up in the air and see those flights go over. Uh, we've been visiting with uh, Dan Green and Bill Geipel, both pilots right here in the valley, about flying in the Wet Mountain Valley. Gentlemen, thanks for stopping by. You're, You're welcome. welcome. We'll see you next time on Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. 